Welcome to the Emergent Experience Podcast. I'm Monique. And I'm Sequoia. We are two close friends that share a passion for self-care, personal growth, and women's empowerment through honest dialogue and shared life experiences. Thank Thank you for for joining us. us. We always talk about seeking mental health professionals and not being shy about getting the therapy services that you need. And so today, we are talking Mental Health 101 with our guest, Dr. Audrey Brutus. Dr. Brutus was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York by parents who immigrated to the U.S. from Haiti. She completed her MSED in PsyD with a bilingual extension in Haitian Creole. Currently, she's working as a regional bilingual special education specialist. She has a private practice and is a professor at Pace University. You can learn more about Dr. Brutus in the show notes and on our website at theemergentexperience.com where you'll find her info and you'll also find her in the Psychology Today directory. And for those who don't know, MSED, Master's in Education, and she's a psychologist. So we are very excited to have you. Um, I always think very highly of you. For those who know, you know I work as a psych MP and working with Dr. Brutus is actually a a breath of fresh air. it's always great to see someone who puts the work you see the progress and communication is so effective so it only made sense to invite someone like her to discuss some things that we all need to be open and well informed about so dr bruce thank you for coming no thank you for having us thank you for joining and i also want to share that it was really a pleasure working with you it's my first experience working with someone was communicative <laughs> and collaborative. Um, I never had that experience before, and I have not had it again. Oh since my you gosh! Left. Oh my so, gosh! Uh, my people are struggling, but uh, you know we're doing what we can. But absolutely, absolutely. So, um, as we, as uh, Satoya read your bio, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know what made you uh, go the direction in psychology. What led you to that? Was that something you always wanted to do? Was it something you decided, you know what? Um, I was going in one path. I need to add this. I'm curious to hear your journey. Okay. So my journey started um, as a child. I knew nothing about psychology. Didn't know psychology existed. Knew nothing. Um, but I always gravitated towards children. Um, I'm the first born in my family of, I don't know, I have about 20 cousins. And I'm the oldest one as far as first generation born here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always stuck changing the diapers, babysitting, (laughs) after school, whatever. So I always had all the kids, all the time. Um, So I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And my siblings would tell you that I tortured them, making them play school (laughs) and giving them real homework (laughs) and getting them into real trouble for not doing my homework. Hey. But that was encouraged by my family because they were just so happy to have a babysitter who was doing real work with their kids mm-hmm. um so i always felt like oh this is good like this is what i'm going to do and when i started to get older um into high school my parents started so serious about this teaching thing um and they were like you can't be a teacher uh you're not gonna make any money no child of mine is gonna be a teacher so they kind of <laughs> shut that down um and in haitian culture the expectation you have three job options you can be a lawyer you can be an engineer or you can be a nurse mm-hmm. and uh those were the options they presented to me so i kind of allowed them to think that i was interested in a pediatrician and i have no medical interest at all um but i told them that that made them happy <laughs> and when i went to high school um so i actually was thinking maybe i will do pediatrician because it would make them happy and i get to still work with kids mm-hmm. but then i took a psychology class in high school and that was what did it for me um mm. as far as exposure to psychology just something that made sense to me um it wasn't hard it, it, there were terms to describe these phenomena that we see happening every um, day. From day to day yes. um and it was just exciting to me and from there i took like advanced psychology in high school and i knew that's when I knew I was going to go to college and major in psychology. Didn't know still what options were there, but just mm. it was something that was easy and it made sense mm-hmm. for me. Um, and then when I went to college, I, I did some uh, like internships or practicum kind of things. Uh, and that kind of exposed me to, as a matter of fact, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the New York Foundling Medical Center. Yes. Uh, that's where I did um, as a college student. I kind of did a rotation there with a psychologist 
psychologist who had graduated from the program that I ultimately went to um, for school in clinical psychology. So I saw her working in a place that was both a school and a hospital, and she was using mm. like all of her degree, like all of it, not just part of it or some of it, of it, like the whole thing. Um, That's amazing. That's right. rare. Right. Because it was like a facility where the kids were educated there and they were living there. Um, so she was pr- pretty much doing both uh, purposes. So that's when I knew I was applying to grad school. And then when I started looking for grad school, it's like a long-winded answer. Good. But yeah, my journey. I have to tell you the whole thing. So when I went to grad school, um, I was applying to grad school. I decided that I was going to look at clinical psychology because my vision of psychology at that point was I'm going to have an office with a chair and people are going to sit on it and they're going to tell me their problems and I'm going to get paid. (laughs) Um, But then after I the New York family experience, I realized that there was so much more than than that. I didn't exactly know what it was, but I knew that whatever options existed out there, I needed this degree to to at least have the options. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I purposely was looking at programs that had, um, I'd say, multiple, like, offered like multiple options to them. So I went into a school and clinical um, psychology program and it had a bilingual extension. Um, I was even looking at schools that were three-way programs, school, clinical, and community psychology. Wow. Because uh, I wanted all the options. So I was just looking at programs like that. And I also applied to some master's programs just as a safe because I wasn't sure. Um, but I ultimately settled for Pace University because I had already did my undergrad there. I was very involved involved undergrad wise and they were the only ones who so I didn't have to pay um for school that had a job there oh yeah I'll take wow it. Yeah, so they covered my tuition so it's like a no-brainer it really was a <laughs> yeah. no-brainer it was the best program um so that's you know and then part of that program I did a lot of like uh clinical rotation and school rotations and the more clinical rotations I did in hospitals I realized that that, that was not what I wanted to do um it was an experience for me that was very grounding as far as realizing how people are walking around with mental illness and are not necessarily hospitalized because I was an outpatient. So it's like, you took the bus here. So you could have been sitting next to me on the bus and you're coming in here with homicidal ideation, you know? So that that was a very scary thing for me. Um, And also I was in a facility that wasn't well secure. So Mm. I'd be in these rooms with people that I felt unsafe about. And I was like, I can't, this this is not for me. And also I was working with children, right. And also the children that I was working with in the rotation were very sick. And that was a painful thing um, for me to see, um, Mm. for me to um, work with. So I felt safer being in the school um, as far as the impact that I could have with families and children. Um, So that's how I kind of gravitated to there and was there for about 10 years and loved it. Um, Still love it. I still love working with children, even though I'm not really doing that right now. Mm. But um, that's my whole journey of how I ended up being who I am professionally anyway that's amazing I I love hearing stories like that because a lot of times I know you've probably encountered this I have and I'm sure Satoya you have we we've met people or maybe us ourselves have Mm -hmm. um decided to go that path that our parents thought was appropriate right which we like you said you guys Mm -hmm. know we're you know Jamaican background it was lawyer doctor what was the next one Nurse was a part of that too. It was, but it was almost like, it wasn't saying you need to be a nurse. It was just like an unsaid thing, but mm-hmm. it was always something higher. No one ever said you should be a psychologist or, uh, right. you know, whatever the, all these different, um, fields and, and areas that you can really immerse yourself in. So, yeah. and to see how you were able to kind of experience all these, these, um, different environments to know where you want to be. And you still right. work with the population. I mean, you still worked with the population that you really enjoy and connect right. with. So I think that's um, a really nice and inspiring story. I left out one part. I should also add that my mother was shocked when she came to my undergrad graduation because she thought I was getting a degree <laughs> as a pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that Plot was twist. a shocking experience for her but she really couldn't complain because at graduation I got like all these awards and they were like acknowledging that I got into the program on a free ride and she heard all these things that she had no idea that I was doing she found that only out at the graduation well, you know. um, so that, that was funny as well so you know you know what I can say about that that's the beauty of 
being that involved, if you have a scholarship, parents right. can't, you know, they're going to be like, okay, right. you know, but Lord, I guess, well, <laughs> you know what? You, this, this sounds too much like my daughter, my oldest daughter. So I, I believe that, um, she should be talking with you soon because this is so much like her. So we want to get in a couple questions um, okay. about, I guess, everything psychology and therapy. Um, what is therapy? Hmm. So therapy um, looks a lot of different ways uh, for different people mm-hmm. and also for different providers. But uh, if I could come up with like a global uh, description of it, I would say it's really just a, a service or a support that's provided well, where you can kind of uh, look for to address any variety of issues or problems that you're having and to be able to do that in a safe space mm-hmm. with someone who's objective and in no way personally connected to you whatsoever and typically has some sort of orientation that they're following to guide uh, what they're doing. Um, so broadly, that's how I would pretty much describe therapy. And who who would you say, would you say that there is a particular population of people that need therapy or is therapy something that everyone can do or should do? Like who needs I therapy? Therapy is for everybody, including, for, including therapists. Um, I, I think no one is above going to therapy even if you think oh everything in my life is great you know um sometimes i mean no one's life is perfect nobody you know, there's always some area in your life where you could benefit at, at the very least from some insight you know um but and then there are some people who are severely sick you know um it can, that's why i said therapy can kind of vary because you can get different things from it depending on where you are at in your life mm. right that makes a lot of sense. It makes me think of, um, my mom always says that she didn't say this when I was younger because we weren't really exposed to psychology and therapy, stuff like that until Mm -hmm. we were significantly older. But my mom would always say that our mental health is like our physical health and we need to take care of it in the same way. Like in what you're saying, like, um, people needing different levels of therapy could be equated to getting, um, a checkup with your primary care physician or doing more um, intense therapy or intense um, intervention of some kind. Ah, that makes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Is your mother in the healthcare field? My mother's a social worker now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a mental health professional. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Satoya, I would deem her as a self uh, educated therapist, even though she would never ever take that claim, <laughs> but no, because I don't want to be that responsible. But um, <laughs> yeah, but through through my own process and journey and learning and stuff like that, I've acquired a lot of knowledge about mental health and um, and even as a pastor, like I know my limitations. Mm-hmm. And learning what those limitations are and learning, hey, um, yeah, that's an issue that I can't help you with. You need to go and find a mental health professional. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. We need to preach that all the time. Right. So um, how many different kinds of therapies are available? We hear so many different methods and orientations. And I think at times people get very overwhelmed when they're trying to look for a therapist because they see all these big words that sound invasive or it sounds like you're going to do some um, hypnotizing, like true hypnotizing. So how many different kinds are there and which ones do you tend to use more in your practice? So there are many, um, several, but there are some large overarching ones like psychodynamic, psychoanalytic, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, cognitive, behavioral, humanistic, um, and sometimes people are more eclectic, like I consider myself, where they're using and borrowing from different orientations to kind of create their own. Um, There are certain issues that people may have that work best with certain orientations. Mm -hmm. Example would be someone that has like a phobia. Um, Those respond much better to like behavioral or Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, addictions and things like that. 
their cognitive behavioral therapies or even straight behavioral exposure therapies yeah. are more beneficial for those kind of things. Um, people who are going through uh, change of life kind of uh, situations, a psychodynamic might be beneficial for them or existential kind of perspectives are good for them as well. Uh, but for me, I definitely have a combination of psychodynamic and cognitive behavioral. Um, mm-hmm. I consider myself to be very solution focused. Mm-hmm. Um so that's why I don't subscribe to psychoanalysis because that's very much long term. Yes. Um, digging deep into, you know, how from birth, you know, mm-hmm. and spending a lot of time there in your childhood. And not that I don't think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, who we were, our childhood um, definitely influences the adults that we become. And our early experiences do impact our later ones. Yes. Um, but I think much more of the focus should be, okay, I get this happened to you but what are you going to do now exactly. to have a different future because that is within your control. The past was not, but this is. Yes. So I'm very right. much about, okay, so what's the plan? You know, are you truly uncomfortable about this thing that you're saying you're uncomfortable about? Mm-hmm. Is this really something that's creating dysfunction for you? Because sometimes people come with a problem, but they don't have a problem with it, you know? Yeah. So then it's like, you don't need to be here because you're very comfortable with this problem or mm-hmm. this problem is serving a purpose for you. Yeah. Um, as long as you have this problem, you can continue getting government support. Or as long as you continue having this problem, your family will keep taking care of you or your boyfriend will stay around. Um, so you kind of don't want to fix the problem because then other parts of your life will change as well that you're not prepared for. Um, so that that's definitely something um, that I tell people, like, this is not going to be easy. Um, and please don't be here if you're not really looking for change because that piece is going to make you very uncomfortable. There are going to be days you're going to be upset. You're going to leave here and probably sit in your car and cry for a good 30 minutes before you can go home. Um, right. You have to be prepared for that. Um, and also, it's a, it's a two-way thing. So I said all that to say there are all these different orientations. But more so than the orientation, let's have a very specific thing, like phobias, um, like addictions. What's more important than the orientation, I think, is the match. Um, when you go in... Sometimes you can tell by the, even the phone conversation um, when you are making your first appointment, whether or, and both ways, the therapist for the patient and the patient for the therapist to kind of tell, is this something that might work or not? Mm-hmm. So for me, the first meeting, and I tell them, you know, uh, right away that this is for both of us to figure out if it's a match for both of us. Because I may think, okay, this is great, but there's just something about me that you don't like, and I want you to feel comfortable with that and not feel like I'm going to be offended or anything like that because mm-hmm. this is a service that you're paying for. This isn't a friendship. Yeah. This isn't a marriage. You're paying for this, so it has to be worth, you know, what you're going to pay and you have to feel like you're invested in it. Um, right. So, you know, that first session is really about is this going to be a match and is this work that I really want to do? Um, wow. And for me, it's, 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 it's that piece as well. Is this someone who really wants to change, who wants to do something? Because I might say to you, listen, it sounds like you're not really ready for therapy or the type of therapy that you might need might be more about talking about the wrongs that you've been through, but you're not ready to change them yet. Um, mm. so this might not be the best orientation for you because I am very solution focused and I will push. And if you're not ready to be pushed, then this might not be good for you. So, mm. And that's good. And that's honest. I, I That's right. important. I think that's important. And for me, if I'm looking for a therapist... I need that honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say though that um, would you say that personality is important when looking for a therapist? To a degree, um, because you know we have personality disorders, right? Right. So sometimes there are people who are inherently functionally have a personality that does not work for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a mental health professional, I really have to, you know, if I turned away every personality disorder person, that would be a negative, unethical thing for me to do. So sometimes I can tell that personality-wise things may not work out. Oh, I might realize that a personality may not connect very well, but I'll still give it a chance because I also think maybe this is part of the person's sickness. And as a mental health professional, I have to help treat a sickness So I can't just say, oh, this is not going to work because, you know, you remind me of my mom or, you know, um, unless you're like blatantly disrespectful or something very intolerable. Um, I'm very flexible with personalities. But, you know, for the other person, they might 
have a negative transference about me or something about me. And I just kind of create an open space, say whatever you need to say, feel mm-hmm. whatever you need to feel. Um, and don't feel like you're going to offend me. I've been doing this for a while. And if it doesn't work for you, it's okay. You know, yeah. you decide, you know what? I messed up. It, maybe it did work for me and I, I spoke too soon. You can come back and it's, and I won't hold it against you. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's, that also, um, it allows the person to trust you because there's so many people who go through, um, uh, a lot of letdown, making those same mistakes in life, and they get completely shut out. So knowing that you are willing to work with them, I think, it forges the, the bond and the professional trust. Right. Yeah. But I think that's also a huge indicator for what people should look out for. Like, if they meet with a mental health professional and they're not that straightforward, and they're not saying, okay, what are we looking to achieve here? Or... um I remember, I remember going to a session once and literally none of that information was said. Like she kind of just assumed that I was going to stay with her and it was going to work out. But mm. that was a huge red flag for me. So mm-hmm. you even saying that it it's helpful to hear because then it's like, okay, these are, this is maybe the kind of thing that can guide me along in choosing the right person. Right. Mm. And at the very end of that first session, I always say to them, I end it with, so what do you think? Is this something that you feel like will work for you and you want to continue? So I kind of give them an option to say yes yeah. or to say no. Um, and I also will share, well, I I agree. I think that we can do this and we should give it a try. Or I'll say, you know what? I don't think this is a good match for you because mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. think you could leave that session and not know where they stand or any assumptions made on anything, you know? So that's good. Yeah, it's very good. Um, how does therapy promote healing? Well, I think that um, it can definitely be part of a larger process, you know, because people are engaged in different types of healing, mm-hmm. um, whether it's spiritual, uh, whether it's um, medicational. I don't know if that's the word or not. but yeah. um, mm-hmm. And I think of therapy as, uh, also assuming when I say medicational, I'm not talking about like, you know, like street drugs and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> that's not so great. Um, okay. I'm going in a different direction. Okay. Stay, stay. Focus. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I feel like therapy could be a support to whatever other healing pieces people have in their lives. And it doesn't have to be conflictual, um, in any way. Um, I may not be of a particular example. I may not be of a particular religious background, but if that is important to you, um, there's no reason why the therapy that we are working on couldn't supplement what you already have um, and kind of bring it together to get you to the place where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that way, I think it's a you know, a collaborative piece as far as uh, when it comes to healing. I don't think all healing will come from therapy. Um, I think it's a safe place where you can talk and address certain things, but the real work is when you leave the room, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Okay. I mm-hmm. think that makes sense. Um, I think, as you said before, people, we got to have, have make the decision that when we are going to therapy, we're here to truly make changes. We're dedicated to um, doing the work. Um, one of the right. things I usually tell, whether it be my friends, family, or my patients, therapy is not easy. I don't expect you to, Right. I don't want you to go in thinking that, okay, we're going to talk and I'm going to change. I, it's not, but it's just a place where you're going to be able to plan, discuss, um, re- do, get some insight on yourself and then create a plan with your therapist where this is the, these are the things, or these are a few things that I'm going to go and practice when I leave here. Um, it's your, it's yes. your guide. We're your guide. Yeah. That's so good. Also, I always, Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I would feel, I always kind of feel that if you do go to therapy and you're like, oh, that's good. It was great. It was, if it feels easy to you, you know, kind of feels like a cool place to go and hang, like then you're not really in therapy. Maybe what you found is like a, a reciprocal kind of friendship, yeah. which is not what it should be. Exactly. It should be a place that, you know, you might have some anxiety about going sometimes, uh-huh. but you know that thing you did something that that week and it's gonna have to be addressed you know and you're gonna have to talk about it um therapy is supposed to be uncomfortable um to a degree to get you to where you need to go it's not an easy road 
And if you're finding that it's easy, then you probably should find somebody else. Yeah. Because um, it means because it, it means you didn't tap into some things. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, not. It's right. you. You and I. And there's another thing I say. Always be, um, be comfortable with being uncomfortable because. Right know that it is a normal part of the process and you won't be uncomfortable forever. Right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. That was exactly what you're saying. It was exactly what I was thinking about because I'm literally running through my head. A lot of conversations where um, I'll meet with someone and um, they have never been to therapy. And then I encourage them to go, they go and I check up with them and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? oh yeah, it's been so great. It's been so amazing and so on and so forth. And then I stop and warn them and I'm like, look, just so you know, from my experience, it gets harder before it gets better. Like Mm -hmm. I always have this um, illustration of spring cleaning and like, oh yeah, the, the weather's changing and everything's beautiful and the sun is shining and we have more daylight. And so you get geared up and you're excited about getting things in order and then the more stuff you pull out, the more you look around and you're surrounded by your mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it, it quickly gets very discouraging. Very. Mm-hmm. But you know what? For some people, that in itself is therapeutic. You know, the some people love cleaning. You know, they love unloading. Um, so for some people, even though things are difficult, they're just so happy to have said something to someone that they've never said it before. So mm-hmm. even though they're crying, even though they're emotional, they might say to you, if you checked in with them, well, so how was it? Oh, my God, it was great, you know? Um, and it's not necessarily mean that they weren't made uncomfortable, but they were happy to, to have yeah. them comfortable and be able to say something that, finally, that you, you know, to unload. That right. makes sense. Yeah. Wow. That, that makes sense. You do feel a sense of relief. I think one of the things during the course of my life, um, I, rea- I realized... I knew it. I kind of was um, kind of avoiding certain things. But one of the things that was said to me by um, a psychologist, I made sure I sought her out when I was going through my the teenage state phase of, with my daughter. We can That could be uh-huh. another podcast. And I realized <laughs> that, okay, I need to go to therapy for myself because there's, apparently certain things are triggering me. And in order for me to be as supportive as I can while she's going through her phase, I need to go, I need to process some things. And one of the things that she said to me was, um, a few, a few sessions in, she said, Monique, um, there's something we need to address. We need to address your anxiety because you didn't, we, we've talked about everything, but we didn't address your anxiety. And one of the things I said to her was, I'm not ready to address that because that means I have to talk about something. I've never really sat down and talked about. Mm. And if I talk about it now, I feel like I'm going to unravel and I'm in the middle of my doctorate degree and we can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she looked at me and she said, okay, but we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to address this. Right. I said, yes. And that's when I, it kind of dawned on me, like I've never <laughs> spoken to anybody about the length and the depth of the things that mm-hmm. I went through mm-hmm. when I became a teenage mom. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yes. I finally got to talk about it with my therapist now. And it was like relief. It yeah. was relief. And I love this experience that you're sharing. I've had this with, um, so amazing. Like, well, I have a lot of women of color who, mm-hmm. cause they're looking for therapists who look like them. Yeah. Um, so they'll purposely find me online to come. And I've had so many women of color who are, you know, you, you got to be out here. You got to raise your family. You got to do this. You got to mm-hmm. do that. So you don't have time to be weak. You know, you mm-hmm. can't, you know, cry. You can't break down. Um, so, you know, and I recognize that. I yeah. recognize where that comes from. But I also know that you're coming in week or every two weeks. And there's some, it's, it becomes like a thickness in the room. Because mm-hmm. you know that there's something hanging there mm-hmm. um, that is not being addressed. And yeah. I've definitely had this conversation with, and I'll be very honest about that. If I see that in the room, I'm like, listen, I don't know if you feel it, but this is what I feel in this room. I feel that you come in and you talk about how your day went and how great things are, but that can't be why you're coming to therapy. There's something else that you have not, I don't know if you're not comfortable with it yet, but there's something that you're not talking about, you know, right now. And then usually the tears are coming. I've had people say, I'm not ready. You know, I'm yeah. not ready to talk about yeah. Um And I'm like, okay, but just so you know, you know, like, we're going to have to talk about it. Like you can't 
keep coming here and talk around it or not talk about it at all because I'm sure it's a big piece that's impacting the real reason why you're coming here, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. And feel good taking your money. Yeah. <laughs> know about that, you know? So... But it, it does... But yeah. even by addressing that, because even she addressed that, it kind of puts it in the forefront. The reality is, girl, you knew you had this that you had to deal with. And now right. that your therapy is telling you this, that alone... It, mm-hmm. it may stir a little something, but it also brings it to forefront and you know eventually that you're going to have to talk about it. And and even just that comfort, sometimes it right. takes three months, sometimes it will take a year. But as long mm-hmm. as we're making those steps and you're considering, we're thinking about it, then I think it's it can only be healthy. It only can, right. you know? Agreed. One question I do want to ask, um, and this question is more so for people that are being introduced to mental health and therapy, what does it mean to do work in a session or after a session? Um, So in order for therapy to be beneficial to anybody, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to be honest, you know, because the only thing that the therapist is not talking to your family, they're not checking, fact checking anything that you're saying, you know, so whatever you're bringing into the room is what they're working with. So Mm. if, you know, you're coming in and you're lying, then they're going to give you feedback or operate on whatever truth you're telling. So if you're ending up feeling like, oh, this is not working for me, but you know that you're not being completely honest, well, that's why it's not working because whatever support they're giving you, they're giving it based on what you're sharing. Mm -hmm. So you have to really be able to be okay with really bearing your soul. Um, um, in this place and feeling safe. This is important. You have to feel safe to do that. Mm. So if you're going to therapy and whatever reason you don't feel connected enough to be able to open up and let go, then that might be a good indication that this person might not be a good match for you. Um, cause mm. you have to, this is the only place that where it's supposed to be your place that you're safe to do that. Um, so part of the work in the room is really about being honest and being vulnerable and telling the truth about what's going on um, and not fearing judgment um, and not being afraid about what might come with the truth. You have to be ready um, for that. I mean, if you're not, then, I mean, it might not be a good match for you um, yeah. for the therapy. And sometimes, depending on, you know, what the issues are, there is follow-up work. A therapist might say, listen, you know, for this week, I'd like you to work on this and, you know, and come back and, and tell me about how it went. Um, there's nothing for me more frustrating than someone who says, yes, yes, I want to change. I want to do what I want to do. I'm like, okay, so we're on the same page. We have a therapeutic plan we're going to do. And week after week you come in and like, oh, I didn't get a chance. I didn't, I, I didn't, oh man. I, so to me, it's like, okay, uh, are you invested? You know, right. do you really want to change or do you not? Because it sounds like you might just need a friend. And if that's what you're looking for, for you don't have to pay for that you can like call up at just anybody and go talk to your friends but if you're looking for change in your life you're gonna put you have to follow up with these things and if you're you know if it's hard for you to do them because you don't you're not clear why you have to do them let's let's talk about that you know but don't just not do it and then week after week we're talking about the fact that you haven't done it then we're not moving in any direction you know Mm. so that makes a lot of sense. And really, like you said, that solution focused part, you have to be direct. You you know, can't kind of dance around and right. You know, play. Um right. also, uh, the work outside of therapy, it, you actually like you said, you're going to have to actually put it into play. So, right. if there's a certain issue that's going on within the dynamics of the home and your response is X way and we all mm-hmm. discussed that this response is not the healthiest way. Right. We decided, we, because mm-hmm. it's always a, um, a collaboration between the therapist and the client, we made an agreement and decided this would be the best approach. And as soon as you leave, you don't even try to attempt it. That means you didn't right. do work. Right. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's, and that's just the reality. I, I, I stress that a lot. Like you, the work, I stress that with my patients, my, my friends, you got to do the work. Like right. you can't keep avoiding if you want a certain result. So. Right. Cause I can't go home with you. Mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, I think one of the questions that we want to ask you was the difference. Did we say that? Did we talk about it? No, the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Because I feel, with my experience, I'm pretty sure you have this same experience too. When you go out and you have this conversation or someone's looking for help, they mm-hmm. tend to think that the psychiatrist and the psychologist are the same and can provide the same. Correct. Um, so, I mean, essentially, the difference between the two is that your psychiatrist is a medical doctor mm-hmm. um, and they're capable of uh, prescribing. And psychologists are not uh, medical doctors. Uh, we're not capable of prescribing medication. Mm-hmm. Um, we're more about the therapeutic talk therapy piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but psychiatrists do more of the medication management. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have also met psychiatrists who are also doing the therapy and the medication management. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I know, their med- their medical training is really about the medication and understanding how that impacts, um, you know, the, hormone levels the and brain, the neurotransmitters. all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's um, important to know because, right. and also, um, and I, I put it like this, I know, I, as you said, I know some psychiatrists who actually have really in-depth training, like psychoanalytics, psychodynamic, right. and mm-hmm. they can provide both. But usually that's not like the typical. So if there right. is therapy, there may be some basic, um, in, you know, basic CBT, motivational interviewing, and a few others who it could be very focused and very short. But for those who have a lot of complex um, needs, usually you would want to go to your your psychologist, your therapist, to mm-hmm. address those things. Because at this point, you're looking at the psychologists who dedicated their whole entire um, education to study the behavior and how the brain works and how we can change it for the better, right? So right. it makes sense. If you want therapy and you want change, you're going to go to the psychologist. If you need medication and um, need some help with the physical um, symptoms of mental illness, depression, anxiety, you go to your psychiatrist. Right. Right. And I, I tell my patients, they're like medical doctors who, you know, oftentimes they have very busy schedules. You know, people are scheduled on, you know, pretty frequent kind of rotations. So they also don't have the time to kind of sit and go too deeply in with you, Mm -hmm. um, which is why it's beneficial for you. If you are seeing a psychiatrist for kind of medication to um, be in therapy as well, because Mm -hmm. then, if there's like a, a strong collaboration there, if certain things that come up that you wish you would have gotten to tell your psychiatrist, but you're not going to see them again for the next month, you know, um, right. then the psychologist could be your kind of segue or your in-between um, to that. And I also want to add that many, many times, this is a very big pet peeve for me, I get patients who have been on medication for a year that was prescribed by their primary care physician. Mm. So you're talking about someone who's prescribed something for them. And I really wish primary care physicians would not do this because you're just giving them the medications without any kind of management of it or um, check-in system Mm -hmm. or anything, you know, um, or with any plan of like ever getting off. Like there's no plan. It's just like, oh, you're depressed here. Take this. Yeah. Yeah. For how long? And that's actually, it happens a lot. And we are, and unfortunately you're going to see that in areas where there's not a lot of psych, psychiatrists, not a lot of psych MPs. Um, there's just not enough, uh, mental health providers. So in certain cases, you'll end up going to your primary care provider who's able, who will prescribe. But some, one of the things you have to understand, and it, one thing that bothers me is, mm-hmm. um, the diagnosis has never really been done. And then when the person comes to you and you realize, uh, you actually mm-hmm. have this, Right, you're on medication to them for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. that's important. Um, I think it's important that all the primary care providers who are or any provider who's not a uh, mental health specialist connect with connect with therapists who are in the area because when you do come across this, it's important that that collaboration is there because we understand there's a huge shortage. We understand in, in rural areas. Yeah, at that point, we have no choice, but we're doing a disservice if we're not um, re- referring them to therapy and, and and really seeing if we can find the psychiatrist so you can get that load off because 
There's so many responsibilities that come with that. When, and then on top right. of that, you're dealing with everyone else's physical illnesses, right? Right. Yeah. Right. right. So, um, right. what does a typical therapy session look like? Um, you on TV, I remember <laughs> I would see, you know, you know, you'll see the person laying down in this long couch and they're sitting there relaxed with their arms <laughs> across their chest or their stomach yes. mm-hmm. and they're talking to the therapist and the therapist is sitting there usually like an old white man with gray hair <laughs> and right. his legs are crossed and he's talking yes very very softly the doctor is in and you're talking your whole life away and he just looks and, says, and with a notepad mm. and you take mm. yes. making sounds mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's a very psychoanalytic approach. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That's real. I and know. your psychoanalyst, that's their setup. And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, that's what they're looking for, yeah. you know? Um, but for me, no one lays on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> My couch is for sitting only. And uh, as far as physical setup, we, we, I mean, there is a couch, maybe a love seat in my room, but we're really, it's almost like two people sitting in a living room, like talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So you're not laying down. There's no like situation where I'm like sitting above you and you're like laying below me, like, like a hierarchy. I feel like it creates some sort of hierarchy in the mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't really exist. We're both at the same level and we're both talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get patients who are very sick and for whatever reason, they'll get up, you know, they'll maybe they'll, they'll they'll start to raise their voice or they'll lose kind of control. And I, that is very important to me. It's like, listen, you have to have a seat. You know, I feel it's very important for us to be at the same level because mm-hmm. if, if you stand up, then I have to stand up. And, and... it becomes a very strange therapy session. Yes. You know, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's true. Um, the first session is really about, so I have a very in-depth in- intake um, process. Um, a lot of documents that I have people fill out um, to really get a sense of their um, social history and their background, their experience with therapy, what they've been going through, and also some legal forms and such. So a lot of that first session is really going over the paperwork to make them understand, making sure that they understand what therapy is, um, what my sessions are like, um, what the expectations are, and to get a sense of, will this work for you? you know, um, And will this work for me? And then also starting to get an introduction on, well, why are you here? I know you told me already, and I know you wrote it in these papers, but let's talk more about this. You know, at what point, because this has been going on for you for a while, and usually people have been going through things for a while. What has brought you, what made you pick up the phone and say, I need to, I need therapy. I need to make that call. Mm. So that's usually the starting point um, for me on that first day. And um, the second session, if we decide it's the second session, is about setting therapeutic goals um, that we collaborate on and discuss them together and we write them down. What, what, are, what is it that we want to do? By when would we like to see it done? Um, and then we kind of go from there. It's really about talk therapy. Um, I'm not like uh, strictly behavioral where I'm physically doing anything behavioral in the room. Mm-hmm. It's mostly talk therapy for me um, as far as my sessions. Mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. that's important and what would be the difference between the first one and the second or third session at that point well the first one we're not talking about any kind of intake mm-hmm. um, documents anymore um, at that point um, we've already kind of passed that um, the second session is really about like I said setting up uh, therapeutic goals and figuring out the work that we're going to do and also in the midst of that, you telling me more about what happened, like what giving me like background on your life and, and how you ended up here in this space, what your journey has been. So mm-hmm. that like, I'd say the first few sessions, maybe the first month, I usually will see a patient like weekly. Um, and if, you know, after a month, I feel like I pretty much have your story. And then, OK, so now we're going to start with some real work here. Um, and mm-hmm. then we can talk about what your schedule will be like, whether you need to be here every week because it's a pretty significant case or we can do this bi-weekly um so that we talk about that as well um but yeah i mean it's pretty much um how therapy goes i allow them i usually start off a session by asking them if where would they like to start you know is there anything pressing that happened for them in the past week or past two weeks that they really feel like they need to speak about and address first um and sometimes they come in with stuff and that's the session 
um, something very significant happened and they need to work through it and they need to talk about it. And it's like not part of our therapeutic goal, but it needs to be addressed before we can talk about the other stuff. And that's okay. You know, um, that I have flexibility in, but we both know that we're getting back to this goal. Mm. And if I start to feel like every week you're coming in with something and I start thinking maybe you're trying to avoid not talking about this stuff, um, then I will take charge of the session and say, listen, this week I was thinking that we should talk about this, you know, um, and kind of gear the session that way to at least make sure that we're still focused on why you're here and what you'd like to accomplish. Okay. And so um, how often, so I guess my question is how often should someone repeat therapy after so let's say they kind of met all of those goals right and then both parties feel like okay we're kind of resolved for now Mm -hmm. kind of thing or we've met all those goals um how should a person approach repeat therapy so for me i have an open door policy um when i have patients who have met their goals and we talk about that um and we're talking about a termination um i always say to them if anything changes in your life and you feel like you go into a new adjustment or anything happens and you feel like you need to come back, you can call me. Um, even though I might be full, um, mm-hmm. I'll make it work because I already have a relationship with you and I know how hard that can be to tell your story all over, over again. again. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, so I will always take back um, clients who I might have had and they transitioned out and they need to come back um, because I know it's a very difficult process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, for... For people that haven't had therapy before, what are some what are some indicators or some or some life like transitions or different things like that that can kind of clue them in as to, hey, I actually might need to look into therapy? I think that it could I mean it doesn't even have to be a life transition. It's just anything it could be anything in your life that you feel is impacting your ability to function, you know, on a day to day. Or maybe you are functioning day to day, but almost like in survival mode, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not a way to live either. Mm -hmm. Um, Just if you feel any kind of mental, emotional um, discomfort, um, you should feel free to go get, and and especially if you have health insurance, people don't realize that you can like pay a copay. It's not going to be like $150 a session unless Mm -hmm. you're paying out of pocket. Um, Many people who have insurance is covered, you Mm -hmm. know, so you should take advantage of what you have. And therapy has never hurt anybody. You know, it's not going to hurt you. So at the very least, you may go and be like, you know what? I'm good. I didn't need that. Okay, that's fine. But no harm was done, you know? Yeah. Because I've heard certain, um, when you brought up the insurance insurance piece, I've heard some people, and I think some of it's just maybe some lingering stigma about therapy. But I've heard some people say, like, they don't want to use their insurance because they don't want a record of them going to therapy. Right. I mean, for I mean, there is a communication that happens because you are billing the insurance, so you have to put a diagnosis on the insurance and things like that. But they do have confidentiality in that none of that information is going to be shared no. with family or with employers um, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, so that is there. And go ahead. I was going to say, um, and you're not going to write. T- you're not going to submit your whole. You know, your whole um, evaluation. To the health, to insurance. Correct. Like, it, it, it doesn't. Correct. It's like I the, don't actually. I yeah. really just submit a claim form. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Right. So we have to protect you, and Correct. we have HIPAA that protects you as well. Right. So right. nothing is going to be shared unless you ask us to share it because this is what you want, and right. you have to sign a a, a form to grant right. us per- form. permission. Mm-hmm. Permission. So I, I also want to add to what your question, Satoya, there, there, and I know, and I feel like I know what you're getting at. There's some people walking around who have no idea that they need therapy and you're looking at them like, dude, you need therapy like a thousand percent. So, so I think that, um, if some people are not aware, but if you find yourself going through some things that it just seems not to work and you keep falling into the same patterns that don't come out positive or you find that certain relationships you keep finding yourself in the same kind of relationship the same guy that keeps cheating on you and or you're constantly getting in 
arguments and it seems like it's just, it never ends and you feel like everyone is against you, that might be an indicator that you need some therapy just to get a in, some insight on yourself. Right. Yeah. Cause I, and in you saying that, like some of my concern is, um, wondering how people can become self-aware enough to even cross that threshold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause some people aren't, they don't have any real level of awareness. I remember having a conversation with someone and I was literally in their entire adult life. I was literally the first person to ever tell them that they're traumatized mm. based upon the story that they told me um, throughout their childhood and adolescent. And I was right. the first person to tell them like, Hey, uh, you have some significant trauma here. You should probably go to therapy. Yeah. But that, like, that person would have walked around thinking everything's fine and normal, right? And normal, well, and literally everything else, everything is falling apart around them, and they have no, they have, they don't have the awareness or the connection to really understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, I want to say. Two things. The first thing is, one of the things that need to happen is that we need to make this conversation something normal. We need to have it around the dinner table. We need to have it in the schools. We need to have it within our family. Right. We need mm-hmm. to go through multiple different multi, different cultural. We all have stigma. There's also a layer of cultural stigma. But we need to right. normalize this so we can make this... Um, so people are aware of what the signs and symptoms are. Um, and I kind of want to say, we want to... Thank Dr. Brutus for coming because I know we got to wrap yes. it up. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you for thank, having thank me. Thank you. We definitely um, can't wait to share this with everyone. But, you know, we'll send all the links. We actually are in New York. Um, Dr. Brutus is in Rockland County. And if you're looking for a good therapist, <laughs> she's available. And I will refer you. If you, you know, and I refer, I try to refer whoever I find. You got insurance? This is who you need to go to. Yes, um, and I am taking new patients. So awesome. For now. Awesome. So, um, I guess this is it. So, Toya, you would like to wrap it up? Sure. So, if you um, have any questions or any comments, you can shoot us an email at hello at theemergentexperience.com. And we're going to end with our quote from Shannon Alder. Courage doesn't happen when you have all the answers. It happens when you are ready to face the questions you have been avoiding your whole life. Mm -hmm. Till next time. Bye. Bye.